0: Hi everyone, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 39. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website llresearch.org and the community website bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Jim McCarty, husband to the late Carla Ruckert, scribe for the Rock Contact, and president of Ella Research, along with Gary Bean and myself, who are working hard to keep the mission of Ella Research alive and well, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions from spiritual seekers that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. Our replies to these questions are not final nor authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance, determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for this show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send us an email at contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Austin, and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. Gary and Jim, are we ready to do this show? Let us embark. <laughs> I believe so. All righty. Jumping straight to our questions. The first one today comes from Corey via email, who writes... I've been reading the Aaron Kuo Dialogues recently and encountered a passage that spoke of the Yellow Ray Energy Center as relating to will and determination. I know most of the teaching in the Law of One describes anything related to the Yellow Ray to center around relationships towards groups, legal relationships, and relationships in general that don't fall into the Orange Ray type of relationship, mainly self and others. I don't remember reading much about the idea that the yellow ray is also related to will and determination and was wondering if you could expand on that at all and possibly give some examples of how will and determination play into yellow ray activity in our daily lives and what blockages related to that might look like. And the winner of the coin flip today was Gary. (laughs) Yay, lucky me. Um,
1: So, Corey, I think... That there is will present in every energy center, actually. Uh, There is red ray will to survive, perhaps even to procreate. Uh, There is orange orange ray will to achieve or avoid the desires, beliefs, and blockages of the orange ray. And on up the spectrum. Um, The more that the self is known and... Uh, is becomes self-accepted and balanced the more that the mind-body-spirit complex um, integrates that will such that each chakra contributes uh, to the overall will as do individual notes contribute to a melody um, will at the yellow ray I suppose would manifest at that level according to the self's desires and blockages and beliefs Um, that pertain to that chakra, along with the overall polarity of the self. Uh, So, two simple examples. Um, The will of the negatively oriented being at the yellow level would be seeking to manipulate, dominate, and control groupings, finding strategies to assert personal power, and to resist surrendering or yielding its personal will to anything save for that which is perceived as advantageous. The will, on the other hand, of the positively oriented being at the yellow ray level would be seeking to work in harmony with groups, finding ways to love and support others and to contribute its will in a way that does not impose upon, but is in harmony with others. Such concludes my reply. That was excellent. Jim, what are
0: your thoughts on that? Yeah, that that? was a good job,
2: Gary. The... Orange and yellow rays, both, as far as the maturity of the individual, are sort of like the childhood and adolescence, in in my point of view, as we mature and move towards the green ray, which would be the ray that would allow us to be graduated into the fourth density. That would uh, represent our spiritual maturity here in third density. So, as Gary was saying, I think that the exercise of the will in both the orange and especially in the yellow ray is something that is a part of being able to express yourself as an individual first in the orange ray so that you can make your points, you can communicate in some way, you can relate, and you can uh, emotionally make a statement. In the yellow ray, you do the same basic thing, but you do it in groups. You do it so that uh, the group in which you are a part is able to play its part or have its role fulfilled, whatever kind of group it is. I guess in this particular society in which we live, the, the major groups that we find ourselves in are workplace groups, um, military groups, um, and team sports groups. And in these groups, uh, there seems to be a, a competitive nature in general in our society, I would say. So the individuals have ambition. They're trying to work their way up the ladder, the corporate ladder, or the social ladder, the political ladder, and get higher. By getting there, they have to exercise their will. So when the uh, the group is attempting to exercise its will, it's attempting usually to exercise its will over another group to beat them, to beat them in a sport, to beat them in the sales, uh, to beat them in war. So if you also reckon, uh, remember that, as Gary was saying, the negatively oriented entities take their basic power from both the orange and yellow rays, when they are able to successfully exert their wills in a way that they are able to dominate those about them successfully, then they skip over the green and the blue and go directly to the indigo in order to make contact with intelligent infinity and uh, achieve their own graduation. So I think that the yellow and the orange rays are where we basically develop our will. And in the green ray, we can figure out whether or not we want to develop it in a positive or the negative sense, and then attempt to, if we're in the positive sense, be of service to others by exercising our will in that service. Austin, what do you think?
0: I think that was a good answer, too. Um, I have found the part in the Aaron Kuo Dialogues that mentions this, and it uh, did not surprise me that it was Aaron that referenced the third chakra like this, because um, Aaron's teachings are grounded in Buddhism, and the idea of the third chakra being related to concepts like will and determination uh, stems from the Dharmic traditions, I think. Uh, So these traditions have something in common with the confederations teachings of the energy centers, since there are so many correlations uh, between the two. Um, But to me, the ideas of will and determination can be kind of vague. Like Gary said, it seems like every energy center seems to have its own type of will. Uh, They seem like concepts that can be applied in different contexts and different ways throughout our lives. So perhaps it's easiest to look at uh, what we know about the third chakra or the yellow ray energy center from the confederation and see how those concepts relate to that specifically. Like Gary uh, kind of already has done, Gary and Jim both already did, Uh, but I'll give you my perspective on it. Um, we spoke a lot about the orange ray, or the yellow ray, in episode 35, so I won't go into it in great detail about that. It was a pretty good discussion, so if you're interested, check that out. Um, but to summarize, Ra constantly refers to it as a social ray, like uh, Corey said in his question, uh, saying that it concerns the entity in relation to groups and societies. And I see it as sort of a social interface, um, a little bit differently than how uh jim or gary described it necessarily um but uh, probably compatible and it's similar in my view to what carl jung called the persona a type of identity we adopt as we grow up and are influenced by uh this society so that we gain the ability to interact with it in larger and larger ways in larger and larger groups It's sort of our social self and how we present ourselves to the rest of the world, um, what group that we feel we belong to and how uh, the world sees us and what group the world sees that we belong to. Um, And Ra also says that in the negative sense, this energy center is at the heart of bellicose actions in which one group of Entities feel the necessity and the right of dominating other groups of entities by bending their wills to the wills of their masters. Uh, Gary and Jim both mentioned that as well. Um, This bellicosity could be the obvious warlike attitudes, but also maybe a much much more subtle manipulation and attitude towards groups of peoples. Um, Just in your general attitude, maybe there could be a bellicosity of feeling superior And uh, that affects your actions towards somebody you perceive as being in a particular group. You don't see them as an individual. You just see them as part of that group. Um, So then how would that will and determination play out for the positive individual? Uh, If that's what I just said is how it plays out for the negative individual. And I think Gary gave a great description of this. Um, and I found another description of the third chakra from a traditional yoga website that says, uh, when you feel self-confident, have a strong sense of purpose, and are self-motivated, your third chakra is open and healthy. And these things seem to fit pretty Perfectly with what we would consider will and determination and give us a better picture of how it might relate to that positive yellow ray functioning. When we're comfortable with our social identity and our place in society, we are more effective in our lives and able to interact with people as we please without hesitation. And that enables our will. Uh, it enables us to do as we will. And the confidence and the comfort from a stable social identity would help to give us determination in. However, our path leads us through the social fear. And I think if a person had a weaker social identity, um, a blocked yellow ray, they would be less able to interact with uh, other selves in groups specifically more effectively, either through a lack of confidence or simply an inability to connect with people. Uh, And their will and determination would be diminished by either constant questioning, questioning of their own proper place Uh, or how others see them, or it would just be laborious to attempt to connect with others through groups at all, simply because they uh, lack that ability. Um, That concludes my thoughts on the situation. Um, Gary or Jim, do either of you have any follow-up thoughts for Corey? Not I.
1: Yeah, when you mentioned bellicosity, I think that's a good point because um, war is a, an activity of um, presumably, Yellow ray, I guess I mean every chakra would have its place in war, but I think when um you see two nation states or two tribal groups go to war, you're mostly seeing a um very vivid manifestation of yellow ray energy yellow ray will um, <clears throat> my group versus their group um my group um versus the enemy and so forth and oh i had a second thought about war any other way it's i think it's gone oh uh, well,
0: you're making a good point because one of the central tenets in training soldiers to fight an enemy is to Remove any idea that they're fighting individuals at all and that instead they are fighting a group that is necessarily lesser than they are. If soldiers were confronted with the fact that the people they're killing are individuals with their own lives they have families and they have desires and hopes and dreams just like any other individual does, then it's a much more difficult thing. So in order to remove that hesitance from the soldiers, they have to say these, this is a group of people uh, that has lesser traits than we do and they deserve to be
1: uh, subordinate to us. So it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jim. No, go ahead. Yeah, a- empathy is uh, inimical to um, the war masters. And one of the first goals of convincing a populace to fight is to villainize the other, especially if you're on the uh, aggressor side, say. Um, um, Third Reich, Germany, or uh, Imperial Japan. I mean, they taught their people that um, those whom they were conquering and or invading were definitely um, inferior to them. And then I did remember my other point, but Uh, I'll give the mic to Jim because Jim had it. was going to say something.
2: (laughs) He had a thought. Somebody alert the media. (laughs)
1: Um,
2: What I was going to say was Austin was talking about the the soldiers are not seen as individuals. They're seen as um, uh, homogeneous groups of entities that can be used as, well, newspapers call them cannon fodder. I mean, they're so uh, homogeneous and so um, seemingly irrelevant and unimportant. We can describe them that way. But I wanted to make a point about uh, my first teacher of a spiritual nature. Uh, T.D. Lingo was in World War II and fought under Patton in the Battle of the Bulge. And toward the end of the war, when the Germans were calling up the old men and the young boys, because that was all left to fight, uh, and they entered southern Germany in the co- countryside, he found an old uh, soldier coming around the corner of a farmhouse. And so he bayoneted him in a got. It turned out it was a, a grandfather. And he didn't die right away, so he and Lingo sat on the porch of the uh, farmhouse, and they didn't speak each other's language, but the the fellow pulled out his wallet and he showed Lingo pictures of his uh, son and his grandchildren, and he became a real person to Lingo. And that point caused uh, Lingo to ask himself, after the war, why did I have to kill my brother? He wasn't uh, an anonymous individual. It wasn't a a nameless entity. It was a human being. They had families. So uh, I think... The reason we make all the soldiers look the same because then it's easier to kill them. And when we discover that there are people just like us, then there isn't so much of a desire to go out there and to to do battle with them. Uh, But because of the yellow ray will of our groups, we are forced, it would seem, by the pressure of society and of history and of tradition and of uh, some love of of bellicosity to go and do it again. That was my
0: thought. Mm. That's an incredible story.
1: Yeah. Uh, Gary, did you want to share your second Mm, thought? Yeah, and that's that um, I was trying to think of something to reply to the TD Lingo story, but I have nothing to do it justice, so I'll just continue on with that second thought. And that's that um, Austin was describing how part of the LRA is uh, simply identification with a social grouping however that group is defined and i was considering that as one transcends the lower chakras and moves into the higher chakras through the processes of unblocking and balancing and activation and self-knowing and self-forgiveness and so forth but as that locus of energy rises from yellow ray to green ray to blue ray to eventually to the gateway to indigo Um, And one identifies more and more with the creator or with the all and realizes that one is um, ultimately the group, if you could say it that way that one ultimately belongs to is eternity that one is like Carla like to say a citizen of eternity then I think those um groups of the yellow ray though one can still feel they belong to a particular community or race or ethnicity or nation state those become very opaque to the true self um beyond the illusion of this group or that group um yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, it's a good point that the th- don't necessarily go away. I think that that transcendence and identification with something greater just gives us a broader perspective in which we are then able to uh see how our social group can relate to other social groups in unified ways and how uh we can effectively communicate communicate across social groups and um basically treat other social groups as equal to our social group uh they might be distinct but there's no lesser or greater and there is an effective way of interacting with them that is in service to all
1: yeah and i still think um, from that vantage point if uh, the social group with which you are identified has become transparent non-opaque and you can empathize and see the other social group. I think there's still part of you that um, recognizes though that you're on a stage and you're playing this particular role and that group's playing that particular role and sometimes you have to carry out those roles. The roles are necessarily at odds with one another um, but you can do so like you were saying by seeing the creator and the other self and recognizing the underlying unity between your group and their group, though they may be at odds and forced to play out this particular uh, passion.
0: Right. And you're uh, no longer bound by the um, strictures of your group. So if your group does have, as its identity, an attitude towards other groups that is uh, less than positive, you are not bound to that um, attitude anymore. You have are able to communicate to your group, um, alternative attitudes and share that with the other group as well. Uh, something along those lines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You're only doing so to the extent you participate in that group. You're only doing so by your own volition and consent, not because you are, um, fettered or bound or obligated, so to speak by the group. All right. You're liberated. All
0: righty. Well, we went a little beyond Corey's original questioning, but that was a fun discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um, any final thoughts before we move on to the next one? Mm, don't think so. Nope, nope. All righty. Well, our next question comes from Lily, who writes to us, uh, in thirty in session 33, question 16, Ra defines the unmanifested self as the self that does not need other self to manifest or act. Ra also teaches that other self is the primary mechanism for catalytic experience in third density, presumably through the un- the manifest itself. I am wondering if the unmanifested self is a fixed thing, or if there is a dynamic relationship between the manifest itself and the unmanifested self, similar to that between the conscious mind and subconscious or unconscious mind. Could you comment on this topic? And I hope that you guys have ideas about the unmanifested self because it has always confused Mm. me. So we'll turn to Jim first.
2: Yeah, Lily, I think that there definitely is a dynamic relationship between the unmanifested self and the uh, manifest itself. I think that it's a totally fluid. I think that the unmanifested self could be uh, looked at as uh, that personality that we have. That's thoughtful. It's interiorized. uh, It has a lot of imagination And I guess you could see it as kind of like the first responder to Catalyst. It doesn't actually do anything about it, although it might help initiate some of the uh, responses that the manifest itself would make. But in our unmanifested self, we first consider all kinds of things that are happening. Uh, Rob mentioned a number of general areas, um, mental pain, um, physical pain, um, emotional pain, even spiritual pain can often find a place in the unmanifested self to be dealt with. Uh, that's something that we wouldn't need anybody else to help us with. It's something that would be an interiorized process. And that um, our physical situations, as far as medical, situ- you know, um, birth defects, Raw mentioned birth defects, or I would say in the incarnation, when we develop certain illnesses, how we respond to the illness, how we uh, consider our well-being, how we define ourselves. Uh, I think that... These, this unmanifested self is, is sort of what you could kind of look at it as uh, the soul without the information from all previous incarnations. You know, it's um, a really significant part of ourself. It's, it's something I think we live with maybe even more than we live with our manifest itself if we're you know, thoughtful and contemplative in, in general. Uh, if we're doers and go out, going out to the world every day of nine to five job, then we probably have a little less activity with the unmanifested self, although I think it's impossible to uh, squelch or to uh, hide or stick into a corner of the unmanifest itself because it's, it's really kind of where our, our thinking starts and where our um, behaviors might have their genesis that, well, let's see, what should we do about that? You know, I'm feeling this about that, so maybe I should try this. So I think that there is a really dynamic relationship between the unmanifested self and the manifest itself, and I don't think really that one could exist without the other. What do you all
1: think, Gary? Mm, Your um, description of the unmanifested self as kind of a first responder made me think that a greater understanding of the archetypes might yield uh, useful insight on this particular question, um, (laughs) which I am not going to be the one to offer because archetypes have always confused me. Um, And I was going to begin my reply as uh, Austin conveyed in his own statement. And that's that the the, uh, notion of what the unmanifest self is has confused me. Um, I started out by saying, who am I when all that stimulus from other selves, which constitutes most of our world, we're in a world where we're immersed with um, interfacing or intersections with other selves. The world is created by us, the collective of humans. So when I'm... stripped of all that stimulus, leaving just me, my thoughts, and my feelings as I generate them, who is that? Uh, This is where I get really confused because, uh, as I mentioned, we're in a world so thoroughly permeated with other selves that it's difficult to imagine a self without other selves. Uh, Even in our most private moments, even if, if we were to become a hermit for a decade, the material of our minds, conscious and subconscious, is composed of the stuff of relationship with other selves. Um, so perhaps unmanifest points simply to that level of self that hasn't been potentiated by the catalyst of an other self. And Ra gives indications of what type of catalyst works upon the unmanifested self and, in so doing, helps to map where and what the unmanifest self is. In 3316, they describe, um, as Jim was uh, touching on, the catalyst of physical pain. In 61.6, they say that the body complex has natural functions. Many of these have to do with the unmanifested self. Would um, you like to go into that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Going to the bathroom is probably the, one of the first ones that there you go.
0: <laughs> comes to. <laughs> it does not require any other self to be involved. Typically. that's, your, that's your really, really young. <laughs>
1: Um, 71.15 says, Ross says that in magic one is working with one's unmanifested self and in 70, in the same session, but, uh, the fifth question, Ross says that, um, the inevitable connection between the unmanifested self and the metaphysical or time space analog, um, and they say the activities of meditation, contemplation, and what might be called the internal balancing of thoughts and reactions are those activities, the unmanifested self, more closely aligned with the metaphysical self. Mm-hmm. So one might consider the unmanifested self as the time-space self, the metaphysical self, the self of uh, intentions, and that's worked on by meditation, contemplation, and so forth. And perhaps anything that's solitary, is so long as it's not being done for reasons of... Uh, impressing a an other self or denying an other self or relating to another self in some way, perhaps solitary work is, is unmanifest self material. And maybe it's the unmanifest self becomes the manifest self at the point where the unmanifest self interacts on some level with an other self, becoming thusly the manifest self. Um, for instance, Ra describes how the catalyst from the loss of an other self is, quote, offered to the unmanifest self, In 34.6, they say, very often the catalyst for emotional pain, whether it be death of the physical complex of one other self, which is loved, or some other seeming loss, will simply result in the opposite, in a bitterness and impatience, a souring. Um, This is catalyst which has gone awry. In these cases, then there will be additional catalyst. Here's the key part: provided to offer the unmanifested self further opportunities for discovering the self as all sufficient creator, containing all that there is and full of joy. So, this catalyst of the death of another self is um, and. I'm sorry, if that if that processing of that uh, catalyst goes awry, then additional catalyst is offered. And Ra says, to the unmanifested self. Um, so here it seems, and a lot of speculation or interpretation on my part, here it seems that the unmanifested self isn't an interior self that's isolated behind a barrier. It is, uh, as I was saying unmanifest simply because no other self has catalyzed the manifestation of this self. So, in other words, to reply to your question, Lily, uh, there is a relationship between the unmanifest and manifest self precisely at the point where the mirror of the other self is introduced in whatever way. Uh, Is it fixed or dynamic? Um, Like Jim, I think it's very dynamic. Uh, In 34.9, Ross says, The unmanifested self may find its lessons those which develop any of the energy influx centers of the mind-body-spirit complex. Uh, The societal and self-interactions most often concentrate upon the second and third energy centers. So Ra gives two categories there in those two sentences. And in the first sentence, they say that the unmanifested self may find its lessons are those which develop this energy centers any of the energy centers so in other words if you were on a desert island and never interacted with any other selves and it was just you and your unmanifested self there you could still um develop all of your energy centers without the aid of the other self and still be working within the precinct of the unmanifested self so far as i understand but uh importantly in 19.13 ra says uh I got to read the whole paragraph and then I'll sign off on my answer. They say, um, catalyst. this catalyst then is shared between people as an important part of each self's development as well as the experiences of the self in solitude and the synthesis of all experience through meditation. The quickest way to learn is to deal with other selves. Uh, this is a much greater catalyst than dealing with the self. So, Ra is talking about um the manifest se- self is a quicker way to learn than strictly sticking to the unmanifested self because, Ra goes on to say, dealing with the self without other selves is akin to living without what you would call mirrors. Thus the self cannot see the fruits of its beingness. Thus each may e- aid each by reflection and they throw in there because it's relevant to Don's question, this is also a primary reason for the weakening of the physical vehicle, as you call the physical complex. Um, so you know, our bodies were weakened in order that we would not be strictly unmanifested selves, keeping to ourselves, but that, so that we would be forced, more or less, to work with one another. Austin, what do you think?
0: <laughs> um, I guess the my confusion comes from a point let's take the catalyst of pain and this is also an example for Lily how maybe the unmanifested self and the manifested self can interact and that is uh, say that you are in a state of pain and your unmanifested self is um, that's working upon your unmanifested self and then you have an interaction with another self that will necessarily be painted by that pain so your unmanifested self is then... Uh, influencing your manifested self's interactions with other selves uh, or the other direction. Let's say that um, you have an interaction with an other self that causes you pain, uh, whether it's them doing something which pains you or are you doing something which you then regret or feel guilt about or something along those lines. And then that stays with you uh, despite the absence of the other self being directly in front of you they are not interacting with you at that moment but you are still catalyzed by the interaction and you are no longer needing an other self to manifest that catalyst uh then it seems to me like that would be pain in the unmanifested self and that's sort of uh the confusing point for me because at what point is um catalyst uh manifested self catalyst versus unmanifested self catalyst. And it seems like to me that most of our catalyst comes from interaction with other selves, but then is processed in what rock described as unmanifested self activities, like the meditation, contemplation, and balancing. So um, I'm wondering if it is uh, just a whole system, and that it's just bouncing back and forth between them, uh, or if there is a greater distinction, which it seemed like you were drawing, Gary, I don't really understand it fully. And is there any clarification either of you feel like you have,
1: Jim? And your um you're and Carla's very detailed or thorough study of um the process of reincarnation and pre-incarnational planning, planning. Uh, you came across many cases where somebody intentionally planned a limitation for themselves in an incarnation would one of the one of those uh, intentionally planned limitations be working upon the unmanifested self and are there any examples that you can think of
2: yeah i imagine that uh, just about all the limitations that are planned you know uh, if it's something like um, being unable to walk paralyzed or unable to talk or see uh, that would very likely Necessitate the use of the unmanifested self, and I think it 's most of the times those types of uh, incarnational plans are made so that certain qualities of the self can be enhanced, uh, the will to persevere under very difficult circumstances, the will to see hope where there seems to be no help hope uh, available, um, any kind of inner strength that you need to to make it through I mean you can just look at anybody that you 've known or at people in general in such a situation. And just imagine to yourself, well, wh- what would I do? Or how does anybody get through that kind of situation? And you can be sure that that's the reason that the person uh, chose it. Because there is value in being able to develop those types of inner qualities of strength and of faith and of will and of hope. And, uh, you know, and still being able to live a, a life that is valuable and that you see as valuable.
1: And... Uh, such a pre-incarnational planning could um, work dually on both the unmanifested and manifests itself um, on the unmanifested side of the equation in ways exactly as you described Jim. But then on the manifested side, like us say for instance um, in Carla's situation, she and you felt that part of her own limitations um, forced her to learn how to accept the love offerings of others, thus being you know pertaining to the manifest self.
2: Right. Uh, these Pre-incarnated choices don't always, uh, and they seldom involve only you. They're usually planned along with other people that are going to be relating to you. We seem to incarnate in groups, in families, spiritual families. And we change roles back and forth from incarnation to incarnation. And this is to help us learn the various lessons that we have set out for us. We you know, look back over at incarnation after so, Well, see, I, I learned this and this. i kind of a little weak here. So when we plan our future incarnation, we look at what we need to learn. And we have the, the people around us that have been with us for a long time. And we all work together on it. And if there's one chance that's missed, we program in chances uh, for others. I mean, Carla, when she was 13 years old, her kidneys failed. She had a near-death experience. At that time, she could have gone on. But there was also programmed another possibility that she would return and carry out what amounted to two incarnations at once. So uh, a lot of us do that. We, I mean, there is nothing that happens. Like Ross says, there are no mistakes. Everything that happens in every incarnation without fail was planned. And there's something that you can learn from it. No matter how confusing the situation, how heinous the crime seems to be, you know, it doesn't matter. There are always things that you can learn, and we do hopefully learn. And Carla and I certainly did learn a lot from her situation because it, it involved us both.
1: Yeah, it would be... Very helpful to see what that planning was. (laughs) But I guess that's what meditation is for. And and, um, Austin, you were describing how, you know, where's the line? You were questioning where's the line between unmanifest and manifest, considering so much is... Um, wrapped up in other selves even stuff that seems just to happen to you on a solo basis is probably you know there's a good chance there's a connection to other selves and uh, I guess one metric one preliminary metric um, to attempt to answer that question would be to ask um, how much are others involved in this and how much is this does this just pertain to my relationship with myself and so forth I don't know how clearly that will yield an answer, but it could be a step in the, a, the right direction. Um, well, I guess the I, the point that confused
0: me was Ra's example of um, somebody dying, and that seems to me like catalyst that requires an other self because that was an other self that died, <laughs> and so that's not something that is sort of absent of other selves, uh, but then is processed. By the unmanifested, I think that's the important point, right? Because everything's got to have somebody else in it. I mean, if you got
2: pain, pain somebody helped cause the pain, but you're dealing with it maybe by yourself,
0: yeah. So, in relation to Lily's question, it seems like these two things are extremely dynamic and very, very related. And uh, like you were saying, Jim, at first, just very fluid things, and um, it's a hard distinction to draw between the two, right.
1: I have a creative interpretation for that particular scenario uh, regarding the death of a a loved one and how initially that is um, definitely concerns, obviously, and other self and then creates an enormous probably even tidal wave of catalyst for the self. But then um, that moves into the territory of the unmanifested self in terms of um, reassessing identity or connection with the creator because – um, no, then I'm stymieing myself. Uh, I was thinking about how, you know, we're all reliant upon one another and our identity, even if we don't always recognize it, includes the other self to some extent. So when that other self is removed from the equation, then we're left asking, well, who are we? And then maybe that focus becomes more introspective and moves into, the unmanifest and with the ideal goal being as ra goes on to describe in the same sentence for discovering the self as all-sufficient creator containing all that there is and full of joy all right but yeah it's maybe it's more like an estuary where salt water mixes with fresh water and it's not Mm. always a clear dividing line Yeah, because even in that example,
0: like you are saying, the death of the other self might cause you to ask who we are. I feel like in a very general and broad sense, that is the uh, point of all catalysts is to sort of help us recognize distortions that um, are keeping us from understanding who we are. Uh, So any other self-interaction has that sort of effect as Mm -hmm. well Uh, to move us back into that unmanifested being, I suppose, and... Um, let go of those distortions. But I think that uh, we did a, had a pretty good discussion based off of that question. Uh, any final thoughts from either of you?
2: I think I'm thought out.
0: <laughs> All Me right. too. Cool. thanks for the question, Lily. And uh looks like we are about out of time. Uh, Jim, any final words for our listeners? Well...
2: We just want you guys to know we really love you a lot. We thank you for all of the questions you sent in. We thank you for listening. We thank you for talking about the show. And we thank you for loving each other. We'll see you in two weeks.
0: You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, LLResearch.org and BringForth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those of you who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question, uh, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon uh, around 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you then.